0: Joe, you had a dream last night, didn't you? Weird one? I think
1: you did. Yeah, it was pretty strange. What happened? So I drove up my neighbor's cat came over and like popped up a hairball all over our kitchen floor. (laughs) It was like the size of another cat. So I I picked that up and threw it away, and then I (laughs) ended up having sex with uh, Anne Hathaway.
2: The Adam Crowley Show on
1: ESPN Pittsburgh.
2: Joining us today on the program, one of the most esteemed baseball writers this side of the Mississippi, Dale Lolly. Dale, how you doing today? What's going on? Not much, not much. You're known affectionately around these parts as the lollipop. Your thoughts?
3: Uh, Holy cow, I didn't know that.
2: You never knew that, huh? Interesting. Hey, Dale, what's your favorite flavor of lollipop?
3: I would have to say uh, Crowley-flavored.
2: Crowley-flavored? That sounds gross, but I love them all, so I can't really complain.
4: Just so you know, George Smith of New Haven, Connecticut, claimed to be the first to invent the modern-style lollipop back in 1908. Hey, that's a significant year to your companies. Uh, he used uh, the idea of putting candy on a stick to make it easier to eat, and initially lollipops were soft rather than hard candy.
2: Stat, Pat! You seem like a lovely guy, and I'd really love to become good friends with you eventually, but please shut the hell up when I'm conducting an interview, or I will punch you right in the face. So, Dale, back to you. What brings you on the show today?
3: I don't know, Adam. You called me.
2: Uh, It's actually Harry talking to you now. Yeah, Harry, you're going to need to stop, okay,
0: man? What? Just let it go, buddy.
2: (laughs) Just shut the hell up. (laughs) One last thing for you, Dale. Kyle Hendricks, he lost his fastball. Do you have any idea
3: where he put it? I think he left it in Poughkeepsie. Thanks, back to Harry. you, Harry. Get the hell
0: out of here. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, did I he have no idea how
3: to. I don't, that, that completely I'm, caught me off I'm idea. sorry about
0: that, Dale. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes Harry just feels like hopping on the air. There's nothing I can do about it.
3: Thank God Harry slept the entire way back from Indianapolis.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're confusing him with Tom. That was Harry Carey, Dale. Oh, that's Ball, like,
3: That was that was Tom that slept the whole way back from Indianapolis. I... <laughs>
0: Dale, of course, from com. Well, he did cover baseball last night. He is the football guy uh, over there. Dale, what do you make of James Harrison's career? I'll ask it broadly because a lot of people are trying to talk about legacy and this and that and the other, and I think you can remember James for a whole bunch of stuff. I think that's what made him the character that he was.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great player, and he's a great player in Steelers lore. Um, You know, I hear the word Hall of Famer thrown around a lot. And I'm sorry, James isn't going to make the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, playing that position as an edge rusher, uh, he doesn't have the numbers that, that other people have. He, you know, his his body of work, unfortunately for him, was kind of uh, truncated because he spent you know the first what five years of his career getting cut, backing up Joey Porter and and, and Clark Haggins and All being right. released, and then you know the last. He, he for about five years he was as good as anybody in the league. Um there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but that's just not long enough to to make it to the Hall of Fame in my opinion. Um but he's a he's a great player and one of the best all time uh, Steelers. Stealers. What
0: were your interactions like with the guy, Dale? Uh he was short oftentimes whenever there was a lot of media present, but I feel like he could open up a little bit whenever he trusted you and got you in a one-on-one setting.
3: Yeah, I always had a good relationship with James. Um, You had to go, when you talked to James, you couldn't go in there and kind of just mess around. You had to be pretty much, you know, know what you were going to ask, ask it, um, you know, in a way that he couldn't answer yes or no. And oftentimes, you know, there are a lot of times if you went in with good questions with James Harrison, he was going to give you honest answers. Um, he didn't pull any punches. He would tell you exactly what was on his mind. And if he had something to say, he would say it.
0: Do you think that James was playing a character a lot? Uh, was he trying to act a bully? Or do you think that that's just the kind of guy he was, uh, that, that really was his overall persona?
3: Yeah, a lot of that was uh, was an act in, in many respects. I mean, he <laughs> um, James is a guy that uh, loves kids. Um, you know, he if you went through the locker room and asked those guys, you know, who would be the guy you'd want your kid to hang out with for the day, James would be the guy. He's going to watch cartoons with him, he's going to goof around with him, um, you know, that kind of stuff. He's he, he's very misunderstood in that respect, um, but I think some of that persona, uh, that that mean, tough guy persona, it was just that. Um, you know, I, uh, he is a tough guy. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. Um, but, you know, he... he Soft side too. Um, you know, I once saw him cry. Uh, we were talking about a former teammate uh, who had died in a car accident, and uh, I think it was a car accident. It's been a long time ago, um, but he broke down in tears talking about the guy, and uh, it was a teammate from college. And you know, that, that's James. I mean, he's. He, I, I think, in many ways, he was misunderstood. You know, Greg Lloyd, in my opinion, was. A bad dude, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, he wasn't a nice guy. I think James Harrison, by and large, was, was wasn't a bad guy. Um, now he was a tough guy, and he played that way on the football field. But I think you know he, again, a lot of that was an act.
0: Dale Lolly joining us here. On the Crowley Show. Dale, when looking at James's career, obviously the moment that's going to stick out to everyone was the Super Bowl forty-three moment. And the Steelers have had great moments in their Super Bowl history. There are, of course, a lot that have happened over the course of the Super Bowl. Where do you stack that play up? Because for me, not only was it miraculous in that he's the guy who would run that far and still score, but... But it was also incredibly important to that game, uh, one that was very close towards the end. That's a fourteen-point swing potentially.
3: Yeah, I mean, I put that one in terms of the magnitude of it. it it's not quite there with the, the immaculate reception, but it's most certainly there with the in, in overall importance uh, of winning a championship. Uh, you know, I think the the immaculate reception kind of changed the the trajectory of the franchise. Whereas the the hundred yard interception return uh, changed that season and won the, the franchise another Super Bowl, but you know, so I, I think to me they're they're kind of one and one a. And oh, by the way, don't forget the catch in the, end, in the back of the end zone in that game as well, which was a pretty big play in Super Bowl history.
0: he didn't well. get his feet down. Just ask Kaboli. <laughs>
3: Oh, it's Benzie. Benzie was right there on top of it.
0: He was. Benzie's in photos that are going to go down in football history. He's probably in the fo- Pro Football Hall of Fame, and hell, James Harrison's not going to be there.
3: Yeah, they had to get the the, the high angle though to catch Benzie's head in there. That's true. Well, he was he was way low.
0: Yeah, I think actually Santonio jumped higher than Benzie can stand uh, on that play. <laughs> uh, Dale Wally joining me here uh, on the Crowley Show. Again, just looking at James Harrison's end here with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It left a bad taste in the mouth of the fans. Uh, I don't think the organization obviously loved it. Uh, Certainly the players, they were outspoken about it when it all went down. But it was no surprise to me that the Steelers released a statement talking about James Harrison yesterday.
3: No, uh, you know, look, both sides made mistakes in that whole process. Um, You know, Harrison, by acting out uh, throughout the season, if if some of the – things that his teammates said are are true. And and we do know that, that he called in six several times that that's documented. Um, At the the same time that, that, you know, I think Mike Tomlin could have handled Harrison a little bit better um, in terms of, you know, getting him from playing time and allowing him to, uh, you know, at least keep his feet wet and and feel like he's part of, of everything. Um, But, but, you know, it's, I I think time heals all wounds. And I, I think, the difference, uh, you know, i I'll put it this way. I think if, if New England wins that Super Bowl, I think there's a different feeling about it. Maybe not for the Steelers, but I think with the fans. But the fact that New England lost the Super Bowl, so Harrison didn't win a Super Bowl to end his, his career um, it, with the enemy, I, I think that changes some opinions as well.
0: Last couple of things here for Dale Lawley of com. Troy Palamalu. Had an interesting end to his career here in Pittsburgh with the unceremonious retiring. Who do you think's going to get called back to the organization first? Or I suppose that's not even the right way of asking it. Who do you think's more likely to come back at some point and and be there for a Hall of Honor type honoring?
3: I think James. I mean, uh, you know, he's come back before. You know, when when they released him the first time, well, the the third or fourth time, whichever one it was. Uh, and he signed with Cincinnati, uh, he made no bones about coming back. And, and you know, I, I think he understands that it's, that it's a business. And, he you know, he's played elsewhere. He'd been through that. He'd been released several times. So I think he had a better understanding of the business aspect of things. Um, you know, Troy Polamalu, even when he played, was a different bird. I mean, he's just a different animal. He doesn't love the – he didn't love – they practice and everything that went along with playing. He liked to play the game, but he didn't like everything else that was involved in it. Um, and he's a very private person. So if he never comes back again, or if it's only on rare occasions, uh, that wouldn't surprise me. But I expect James Harrison to uh, he'll, he'll be back. Well, I, I have no doubt about that.
0: And James is the total opposite to that, Dale. I mean, that guy loved everything. Uh, coming back from that game against Kansas City in the playoffs two years ago, the guy was in the weight room right after the damn pl- plane landed at 4 in the morning.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's just what he does. He loved he loved the process. He loved the, you know, he, he'll, he will still work out like a maniac, even though he's not playing anymore. That's not going to change.
0: Dale, really appreciate your time, man, and we'll talk, I'm sure, before the draft next week. Looking
2: forward to it.
3: Yeah, tell Harry I uh, I said bye.
2: Goodbye, Dale. Always a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> See you, buddy.
0: Dale Lawley at com.
3: It's time to go around the bags with the biggest D-bag on the Pittsburgh Airwaves, Adam Crowley.
0: The furthest stat Pat has gotten with his wife is...
3: First base.
0: Hey, man, that's not very nice. Shut the hell up. Tyler Glass now went two innings. This hurts Tom to his core. Gave up one run, but more of the same for Tyler. In four of his five appearances, he's allowed a hit. In four of his five appearances, he's had a walk. He walked the first batter on four pitches, and then he threw a wild pitch. He could have had another one if Cervelli didn't get down to block it. The Pirates are trying to put him in a position to succeed. They're starting him clean in innings. He never has to come in with anybody on base. He doesn't ever have to protect a one-run lead. He's not in hold or save situations. He cleaned up the first inning, but then he gave up a home run to Blackman in the next inning. He's got a 6.23 ERA. He's just not good. And to all Pirates fans and analysts out there that say the Pirates have had success turning guys around like Burnett and Liriano and Volquez, can they turn this guy around? No, I don't think they can. They haven't had the same success of late with that. Just look at what Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole have done in Houston. If they were that good in Pittsburgh, I'd say, okay, fine. But the fact that they had such a precipitous increase in performance... When leaving, shows me that the Pirates don't know quite what they were doing anymore. When I was with the Cup earlier today, I started to unbuckle my pants, first starting off a little slowly, going for second base. Stephen Broad is what he is. He's not great. He didn't really give the Pirates a chance to win in this one. He gave up two runs. He did that in the first third of the inning. He gave up five over six. He's a spot starter. But he's the guy for a while now until Musgrove comes back. When will that be? Don't know. I once saw Harry Carey trying to do... third base with Stat Pat's wife. If the Pirates offense had scored two or less in three of the last four games, you'd be concerned, right? Well, that's exactly what they've done. The starters are fine but not great. The defense is atrocious and the bullpen stinks. If the Pirates wind up back in the middle of the pack on offense, they'll regress dramatically in terms of their win-loss record. Tonight, though, the Buck's second-best starter is on the hill. Trevor Williams is 3-0 with a one-five-six. Chad Bettis, not related to Jerome, at least I don't think, goes for the Rockies. He's 2-0 with a 2.04 ERA. I got so worked up touching the cup earlier today that I thought I was going for home. All right, stat Pad, I'll let you get in on this one. You ready for it? Yeah, man, what do you need from me? Which defenses are doing the best job of turning ground balls into outs? Well, that would be the Indians at
4: 84%, Adam. Uh, and then the Rockies are fifth at 77%. The Pirates all the way back at 28th in Major League Baseball, only converting 70% of ground balls and butts into outs. That is just it's just awful, Adam. Really, it's terrible. The rangers are at 69 percent. 69 percent. Nice. You know how I learned about 69 percent, Adam? I walked in on my wife and she said she was practicing arithmetic with her accountant. Aren't you an accountant? Yeah, but she
2: she handles the numbers. Well, I have no idea what that was at the end there. But, hey, another win for Adam and Around the Bags, and he handled that one with his grace and class of Tyler Glass now. Come back tomorrow for another win. Adam wins. Adam wins.
0: Coming up next, I talked to the Keeper of the Cup earlier today when we had our sit-down with him. Coming up next, we've got the Keeper of the Cup. It's a Crowley show. Stat Pat's come under fire during the break. Nobody likes him here.
1: Well, I'm not a fan, man.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I like him either. No, you like him. I, he just tries to talk too much. He's not funny.
1: He's funny sometimes. I don't but want like him it, on the show like it, anymore. I think you do. I'm out on him. I don't know if you are. Okay, fine, I love StatPat. I know you Okay? Do. Besides, our listeners listen to the show, and yesterday you got accused of giving nothing but stats. So that's why we brought Stat Pad in to give stats, so you wouldn't catch any flack for giving stats.
0: Well, and now every time he gives stats, yeah, people are giving him flack for bringing the stats.
1: I've gotten positive emails on it. Tom and I are not high on stats.
0: No, neither of you guys are high on him. I'm not sure Carrie is either, but he hasn't come out and really said it thus far. But he's not. Yeah, there's some animosity. Yeah, not there. a huge, huge fan. I'm a huge fan of this next guest, though. Got an opportunity to catch up with the keeper of the cup. Howie Barrow, earlier on today, we had some alone time with Lord Stanley's Cup, and we also got to talk to him. Howie, I think you've got one of the coolest jobs in all of sports. You say you've been doing this about nine years, but this is your first playoff tour.
5: Uh, it is, yeah, nine years, uh, the first real intense playoff tour for me, so it's uh, uh, kind of special, it's fun, it's a great experience to be able to travel to all the different cities and talk to all the different networks and fans and everything. So everybody's excited about it. Uh, the, the, the next winner of the cup? It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, sterling silver. It's uh, nice and shiny. Try to clean it a couple times a day to take off the fingerprints and the lipstick marks. But uh, other than that, it's uh, beautiful on its own.
0: I should have worn some lipstick today because I would like to kiss it. The bottom's a little bit worn here. That's surprising to me.
5: Well, that gets replaced uh, every year. Uh, it's just a piece of aluminum. Uh, it's painted black. It really is there just to help uh, with the handling of the cup.
0: How many times have you gone with the Cup to somebody's family's hometown? Or have you gone on any of these tours with the players who have won the Stanley Cup?
5: I do, every summer. This will be the ninth one coming up. And uh, I've been very fortunate to travel all over North America and into Europe. And uh, it, it's great to see all the different places around the world and the cultures and, and, and the fans themselves.
0: I'm sure there's some stuff that you can't talk about. But what, what are some of the weirder things maybe you've seen – the stanley cup go or or some weird things that you've seen that the stanley cup has also seen
5: uh... well you know the players will drink out of it of course uh... beer champagne uh... they'll share it with uh... their children and everything too so they'll put milk or uh, soda or um, you know whatever in there for everybody to be able to enjoy it uh... they've eaten out of it i've seen chicken wings pierogies, spaghetti uh... goulash uh... skittles ice cream whatever some players might take it fishing. They'll put their catch inside the bowl. Uh, I've seen them uh, go golfing with it. Um, I'm sure everybody might have seen the photos from last year when Phil Kessel put the hot dogs in the, in the bowl. Uh, so just about anything that they can uh, you know, try to do that's something different that maybe no other player has done. But uh, they, they always have fun with it. But the main thing is they respect it.
0: So what's your background, Howie? How do you get into this? How do you become one of the keepers of the cup?
5: Uh, just very fortunate, right place at the right time. Uh, I started volunteering at the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, in 2004. Uh, being a resident of Toronto, the Hockey Hall of Fame has its yearly uh, annual um, induction ceremony, so I wanted to help out. And from there, started volunteering a little bit, then working part time hours, and then eventually got asked to uh, travel with the Cup in 2010. Leafs fan? I grew up liking the Leafs, of course. Uh, um, yeah, I'm just a hockey fan in general, and uh, you know, having been able to travel. Uh, with the Cup and uh, with all the teams throughout the league, yeah, you tend to uh, cheer for players more often, uh, especially after Cup summers and working with these guys. Some of the guys now get traded or they're moving around, and uh, you get to see them all over the place. So that, that's fun that way.
0: I was joking before we started doing the interview that you should just leave the thing here in Pittsburgh because it's been here now the last two years. Who are some Penguins that you've gotten an opportunity to travel with with the Cup?
5: Uh, pretty much uh, over the two years, I probably traveled with uh, almost every player at some point. Uh, you know, including the coaches and ownership and stuff too. Uh, going to Europe with guys like Carl Haglin and um, you know Patrick Hornquist, um, Oli Mata. Uh, last year, I was in Russia for the first time with uh, Evgeny Malkin, and uh, you know I've traveled a little bit with Sid and Phil Kessel and and pretty much every one of the players. So it's been a lot of fun. Who bought you the most stuff? Who, who's footing the bill on those trips? Uh, was was Haglund paying for stuff? Well, actually, uh, the bill is probably footed by the, by the team itself. Uh, they, they cover the expenses of all the travel for the players when we go back to their hometowns and all of our flights and everything, of course. So um, it is an expensive uh, venture, I guess, for a team because they have to provide the rings for the players, uh, and, and stuff like that throughout the uh, you know the year once everything's completed. But uh, I think it's all paid back through the fans when uh, they come to the games and they buy the merchandise and it all evens out. But in the end, it's uh, special just to be able to be a part of history when your name is finally put on the cup and uh, when the fans have an opportunity to get a photo, and that's so special for them.
0: I'd imagine that the fanfare, obviously, anywhere that this goes, is unbelievable uh, going through town, all these small towns, big towns, what have you. You must kind of feel like they like you, too, if you're the guy who's carrying it.
5: Well, I've never seen an unhappy face. I mean, everywhere we go, they're pretty happy to see me because they know I'm I'm dragging the cup around or maybe vice versa, the cup is dragging me around. But uh, it, it is special. You get into these smaller towns where maybe, you know, people only see the cup on TV because they don't have an opportunity to go into the bigger cities maybe or, you know, to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. So uh, when we're in these smaller towns and, uh, yes, everybody in the town, it seems like they'll just go and, and come out to, come out to meet us. Howie, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Howie, Borough, the
0: keeper of the cup. One of them. That guy's badass. He was so nice to us. We got an opportunity before the cup came to the station today, and no one communicated that, so no one knew.
1: He he was really cool. He was really cool, man. He
0: was awesome. We got to hang out for about 20 minutes uh, just with him and
1: the cup. Those Canadians, man. Yeah. Well, he uh, he like, thanked us twice. Like, he kept thanking us over. And, like, when we thanked him, he thanked us back. Like, super, super polite. Way ca- Canadian stuff.
0: Super Canadian.
1: Yeah. I feel he's like sad. if I
0: punched him in the nose,
1: he'd, he'd be him. cool with it. Yeah, he'd, he'd like, thank me for it. Thanks, eh? Yeah,
0: he's a hockey player. That's a badass job, though. I mean, I think that if I can have any job in the world, and I realize that we have a cool job now, we just get to talk about sports and and mess with each other for hours on end every single day, but to get an opportunity to fly to
1: Europe and just get to rub the cup down three times a day, eh, it's not bad. If I could give a shout-out for our job, I mean, how many people get to spend 20 minutes alone in a room with the Stanley freaking cup, man? Today's a banner day. Like, I've been on cloud nine since we left. Fired up about it. Hey,
2: I have a few grievances that I'd like to air if it's all right with you, Adam. I don't like to really talk when I'm not spoken to, but may I? Yeah, you're good. This stat that Pat character. What's he all about, huh? He seems like a nice guy. I couldn't disagree more with you, Adam. You sound like an idiot when you say stuff like that.
0: Well, here's the thing. We got accused of doing too many statistics on the show yesterday. StatPat was born out of necessity, I think. And I think he does a really good job of bringing the statistics. Well, maybe it's
2: time now to put him out to pasture. Your thoughts? Well, can I just speak for myself here, please? No! I will not speak to you, StatPat. I've had it up to here with you. Well, you can hear me, okay? Just listen no! to me. Just for a second. No! I mean, I never... I did. refuse to talk to you. Didn't do anything No! Did. Enough! It's enough already. We get it. You like stats. People bag your wife. Hilarious.
0: Sean tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. Stat Pat got to go. I agree, Sean. Well, here's the deal then. I'm going to put it up to a Twitter poll. At underscore Adam Crowley. And my answer here is no.
1: Does StatPat got to go? Uh, can I throw something out here? Yes, no, and why? I throw something out. Why is everyone asking my permission?
0: Just go. I mean Harry oh, wow. Harry just traipses in whenever the hell he wants <laughs> to, and he's gonna call out poor
2: little Stat Pat for chopping up Hey It's a long trip from heaven to the studio, okay? I'd really appreciate it if you'd give me the credit that I deserve for trekking down here and being your baseball correspondent. You can have Stat Pat do it if you want. I guarantee you it'll be a hundred times
1: less funny. Can Stat Pat just write these things down and hand them to you? Yeah, we could do that. I mean, or is is it something that he needs to be on the air? My well, handwriting,
4: my handwriting really isn't legible. I think no! that might be a problem.
2: Enough. If I'm in the room, Stat Pat has to be at least six floors below me. <laughs> We're on the fourth floor. What are you saying? I man? know what I said. Six feet under. I, I see him in hell.
0: Sixty. Oh. It changed. Fifty-six percent of the audience says StatPat does not need to go. Oh, where's Braden fall in on StatPat though? He
1: he tweeted in yesterday saying that I should lay off of you, and um, that he likes StatPat and we should give it a chance because we gave Harry a chance after he messed up on the air when he choked on the. I'm gonna have to say we he deserves a chance. Harry messed up the first day, and you know StatPat.
2: I think he's got potential. It's like Tyler Glass now. He's got so much potential, we'd be well, stupid it, to just it, it, to scrap him
0: now, wait, if right? it's like Agreed? Glass now, Agreed? I should get
1: rid of him now. No, 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 <laughs> no.
2: Because
0: he's got so much potential. We have to keep him there. If StatPat is like Glass now, then we just need to ship him out. He needs a fresh start. He needs to go somewhere else. Joey tweets, at underscore Adam Crowley, StatPat's the scrappy do of the show. You know what? Stat Pat is so relatable, man. Stat Pat's the everyman. Stat Pat drives a 2001 Buick LeSabre. Stat Pat walked in on his wife getting brained by some dude. <laughs> okay? So Stat Pat gets it, man. Stat Pat is all of us. And I can respect him. And who doesn't like a little statistic talk when it comes to baseball? Brayden says, no, he's very good at stats, and this is probably all he has. I'd hate to see him go. What happens to Stat Pat if we kick him
1: out on the street? What happens to him? I'm actually asking. I don't know. May- I, he goes to his 2001 Buick Lesaver, drives home and catches his wife with, like, the Taco Bell manager? I don't know. But, I mean, we got to seriously weigh the options yeah. here, whether he is a detriment or he is a, yeah. or he adds to the show. I mean, Tom and I are mm. on the fence here where we're, this guy kind of annoys us. Well, Tom's actually asking for a second choice. But Harry hates him. I hate him. I'm starting to hate him. So, I mean, I think this is a show thing. Maybe internally we take a vote here.
0: Danny says Harry's way better. I don't think we're arguing about whether Harry's better or not. Yeah. I mean, it should be the Harry Carey
2: show. (laughs) Harry Carey's a better character than I am. It's like comparing apples to apples. You never know which apple's better because they all look the same. Harry, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I know.
0: Hey! Yes? Back to you, four one two nine two 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 eight seven four. We'll put it out to the listening audience that way too. If you want to chime in via the phone call, if you think Stat Pat's a bad character, Danny Boy says yes, Braden says no, Joey says yes, and then everyone else is just tweeting me about Radko Gudas, who's an idiot. And some people are actually defending Radco Gudas in my mentions, by the way. Uh, Radco Gudas didn't mean to do it. You got to have a wherewithal of where you are, on the damn ice, you can't just be busted into your player out there. When you're running a drill at the same time he's running a drill, you absolutely have to know you can't reach for that puck. The number of people defending Radko Goudis is just perplexing to me. Uh, Radko Goudis is a blockhead moron. Uh, that's why he's Radko Goudis. He stinks. He is the ultimate consummate Philadelphia Flyer. And for Penguins fans of all people to say, oh, that guy... I think it's because of the ulterior motives here. You want the guy to have hurtin' Sean Kachuri yet. So you're saying you're happy about it, and because you're happy, you're defending the guy. And don't defend him. It was still stupid. That I means he can't be happy about it, but it was stupid, 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 freaking stupid. Coming up next, Matt Geike actually writes a column called Matt Stats. He can weigh in on Pat. But I think that we're gonna to have to kill the character today. Maybe not today at some point. Sorry, stat pat. It's a Crowley show. <music> Penguins Flyers tomorrow, seven o'clock. Maybe no coots. Is it weird anybody else out that the be- Philadelphia media always calls them coots. Weird to me. Be weirder, I guess it was cooter, but whatever. Possibly no horny. I guess that's no better. Joining me now to discuss, Matt Geica. From PittsburghHockeyNow.com. Geica, how are you today?
6: I enjoy the musical accompaniment. I am cold, but I am well. How are you?
0: Why are you cold, and why are you so complaining? What the hell, man?
6: April, what is this, the 16th? I don't know. Um, 17th. I I, I have my limits. I'll put it that way when it comes to this.
0: That's fair. Geico wants to be out running with his hair in the breeze and his shirt off, doesn't he? Pardon? (laughs) Are you having a hard time hearing us over the, uh, what is that? What is that music anyhow? It's accordion music. Accordion music, yeah. Are you having trouble with the accordion?
6: Yes, I I get the reference, but it is drowning you out a little bit. (laughs)
0: Damn it, Tom. I mean, just again, with this nonsense music all the time with Tom. Tom thinks he's funny, and he is. and He's probably the best part of the show. Anyway, Geico, I'm not going to talk to you about being shirtless or having your hair flowing behind you when you run in this beautiful spring weather, so instead I'll talk to you about oh, what Patrick Hornquist's loss would mean to the Penguins in this series in your mind. Well,
6: number one, the power play is going to suffer. I think we've all seen the numbers, and it's a little more extreme than you might imagine as far as conversion rate with and without him in front of the net. But there really is no replacement. There's no Chris Trunitz left on this team. You can just slide in there, and you're going to get, say, 80% of the uh, the quote-unquote net front presence and uh, just the general disturbance that Hornquist causes. And also, he's a talented hockey player, too. So uh, the Penguins have used Jake Gensel in that spot in front. I was thinking today maybe Derek Versard, is has been really good on the power play, but he doesn't strike me as a net front guy. Either does Jake Gensel. So uh, it could lead to some tactical changes for a power play that has been a little hot and cold in this series. And, and also, let's not forget that Hornsworth set up the all-important first goal in Game 3. He and Sid have, uh, have had some good chemistry this year, better than in recent years, I would say. There's always been this thing that they don't play well together. I'm not sure I've really seen that this season. So, yeah, it's twofold. It, it hurts in both ways, even strength and power play.
0: The power play is the biggest issue, obviously, for me as well. Matt and Matt Geica joining us here on the Crowley Show. I do think, however, the production can be replaced, not necessarily in the same way, but we really haven't seen Phil Kessel introduce himself to this series. thought he played a lot better on Sunday, but he still hasn't been the Phil Kessel that we're used to seeing in the playoffs. If he could pick it up until Patrick Hornquist is back, I think that would go a long way, too.
6: Right, and if Mike Sullivan keeps... Malkin and Kessel together. I think that's probably the best route to go for now. And I wrote something on Pittsburgh Hockey Now about line combinations and what worked on Sunday. And it really seems like Derek Rossard and Brian Russ have a good thing going. They're up over 60% in, uh, in possession and in, in shot share, Corsi, whatever you want to call it, at even strength well, since Rossard joined the team. So. Uh, that's not necessarily sustainable, but it shows you there might be something there compared to Kessel where or he and Broussard are under 50%. And we've seen Kessel and, and Malkin connect in the playoffs last year, really for the whole second half of, of the previous season. And, uh, and Sid with Gensel appears to be a, a set thing, and, and it looks like Dominic Simone might be on Crosby's wing. So uh, if, if you're going to knock Hornquist out of the lineup, I'd say you at least keep one thing say, the same from what you had it on Sunday and so yeah Gino and Phil together I like that uh, duo to create something tomorrow night
0: That scares me a little bit with Simone and Crosby though not because I don't think Simone's a good player not because we haven't seen them have success in the past but that line really has been the engine for these penguins thus far I know the possession numbers weren't quite there on Sunday how they had been the first couple of games of the series but that line's really making hay and I worry if maybe changing it up a little bit, adding a guy who doesn't have that kind of playoff experience in Dominic Simone might play into the Flyers' hands a little bit.
6: Well, yeah, it's a risk, and you could always just put Brian Russ back up there on the top line if you wanted to play it safe there, but I keep coming back to the thought that Sullivan, Mike Sullivan, wants three lines that can score, and um, if you keep Broussard and Russ together, then there's a better chance of that happening than... I don't know uh, what you might do there. If Carter Rowney is healthy. You put him back in the lineup and, and bump someone up, perhaps bump Aston Reese up to the third line. But Zach Aston Reese had his worst game of three in the playoffs on Sunday. He looked uh, a little slower than what he needed to be in terms of making decisions and also just foot speed. So I don't know if I have a lot of confidence in Aston Reese or any of those fourth-line guys to bump up. And if there is someone who at least uh, has a, a hockey mind that operates uh, on the, the same wavelength as Crosby, who could plug in. It is Simone. We've seen him at stretches uh, of this season not look out of place there. Now, uh, other times, he's also been running around the entire offensive zone, getting out of position, and they're not being quite as diligent on the back check. But if you wanted to keep that Crosby line dynamic, then I understand the reasoning in, in putting Simone up there.
0: We're joined by Matt Geica of Pittsburgh Hockey Now here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Claude Giroux has been a big old fraud, ha-ha, in the series so far. Uh, He is a minus four. He's got one point. Crosby's a plus six and, of course, has the seven points. I really haven't noticed Claude Giroux all that much, Matt.
6: No, just on the power play. And even there, I had an issue, if I were a Flyers fan, I definitely would have had an issue with, his shot selection on the power play in game one. The Flyers had a really good first period. At the end of the period, they got a power play. He's got bodies in front. Typically, the Flyers keep it really simple on the advantage, and that's what's given them uh, a leg up on the Penguins in years past, where they just get it to the guy at the side of the net. He stuffs it in front and havoc ensues, or they bomb away from the point. Uh, Giroux took the shots, but he was trying to snipe top corner on Murray, and I thought he could have kept it simpler as, as a result because he missed the net. Now, if he nails it, he looks like a genius, but because he misses the net there, uh, there's a smaller margin for error on those types of shots, and it ends up helping the Penguins survive those moments. So it's been just in those um, in those small opportunities that he's had on the power play where, uh, in my mind, he's come up short the most, but at even strength, yeah, you're right. We saw Dave Haxel load up that top line on Sunday with Voracek and with Couturier and Giroux. And even then it couldn't get very much, uh, done. They had some chances in the first, but, uh, the, 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 top guns for the Flyers at five on five just haven't been good enough. And I think you give some credit to the Penguins there too. Uh, their entire defense corps has, has basically rotated through and they've seen the most, um, that the top line has of Latang and Dumoulin, but, um, overall, Sullivan's not a big matchup coach, and uh, so all those guys have done a, a fine job against that top line. Not a
0: matchup coach, but I do think he throws some wrinkles out there, and he's a very good X's and O's coach. What are some of the things he's done this series that have impressed you, Matt?
6: Well, overall, I think I'm more impressed by the, the players' ability to just get to their, uh, their high-pressure game again. I was talking to you, what, about a week ago, and you were saying the Flyers are going to lose in four or five. I was saying more like six. I said that because I thought it might take the Penguins a couple of games to uh, rediscover their playoff flow, but they really didn't at all. From the drop of the puck in game one, they were ready to go there. And, uh, well, if I had to pick out one thing tactically from a coaching standpoint, and uh, Dan Kangursky on our site also wrote about this too uh, penalty kill. They uh, gave up a couple of goals, including one beauty by Nolan Patrick in game two but they adjusted they decided they're going to uh go from the the box where it's more like a 2-2 to a diamond a 1-2-1 and uh, it ended up causing some hesitation from Shane Goss' Fair and maybe Claude Giroux too like i was describing those situations where he just tried to to fire to shoot to score from out high when maybe he should have uh, either looked for a different option or just shot it down low and looked for a deflection. So the, the Penguins were much better on the PK in Game 3, and those are like those little adjustments that you can make over the course of a series. I'm not sure the Penguins need to change anything 5-on-5. Five five. Their uh, their speed game, their pressure game appears to be creating turnovers and, and just sustaining offense to uh, to an outstanding level in this series. So... If I were Sullivan, I'm not changing too much. But if I'm Dave Haxall, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about what else can I do here to try to turn this series around.
0: What happens if Couturier doesn't play? Uh, Obviously not good for the Flyers, but what the hell are they going to do?
6: Yeah, that just means more ice time for guys like Nolan Patrick and Yori Lettera. They bump up. Uh, Valtteri Sopolo was a non-entity in the first two games, but he'd probably see more ice time as well. Um, I don't see a lot of ways out here for the Flyers. If there's one thing that I would change it's not related at all to the line chart, it's it's the goaltending. I I don't think Brian Elliott is seeing the puck well at all. He's leaving half-open nets on shot attempts that he shouldn't be leaving half-open nets on. And at least Peter Mrazek has some athleticism and could possibly steal a couple of goals away and, and give you a chance if you're the Flyers. Uh, as of right now, what I've seen from Elliott hasn't given me a lot of confidence. So if you're looking for something that might be an emotional trigger as well as just actually giving you a, a better chance to win the hockey game, the goalie switch is always an option there for a And, yeah, we saw it in Game 1 eventually. But I wouldn't be shocked if Game 4 started with Mrazik in net.
0: Last couple of things here for Matt Geica of PittsburghHockeyNow.com. The Penguins' defense core coming into this series was much maligned. They hadn't been playing all that well down the stretch. Penguins have been giving up a lot of goals. It wasn't just the defense core, obviously. It was team defense. But I think to a man, they've played very well on the back end. Kind of weird to me that Jamie Alexiak didn't play very much in this last game, although special teams had a big factor there. But I think they've played very well in the series thus far.
6: I think it's really personified by the play of a, of a guy like Chad Ruedel, who none of us paid any mind to two summers ago when he signed on with the Penguins to barely crack the lineup with the Sabres. But as I was talking to him last week, it's just the way the Penguins play, it fits with his style. So good scouting there and a good approach. Because otherwise, for a lot of teams, missing on a signing, which appears to be the case with Matt Hunwick, that would be a, a, a real um, a tough thing to overcome at playoff time or any time during the season. But the the Penguins defense core knows what they are, by and large. And you have a player like Letang who can take some chances, and and he has the leeway to do some different things out there, uses his his skating. But all the Penguins, D, are are looking to move the puck up first and foremost. They're, for the most part, all good at making that first pass. And, uh, well, they're also comfortable from... Letang all the way down to Ruido and Alexiak in in getting involved in the play. And I think uh, it's a little more natural for certain guys than it is for others. I'm not sure Ole or Brian Dumoulin ever feel really comfortable deep in the offensive zone, but there you see Brian Dumoulin um, closing in and uh, taking a, a bit of a chance there to give Crosby an option on that fourth goal on Sunday that really put the thing away. So it's more about getting up and playing on their front foot uh, than it is about actually defending in their own zone. That's just the way the Penguins are going to have to get it done this year, and it's the the way they've gotten it done in the past.
0: Matt, really appreciate the time, man. Love the analysis. Keep up the good work over there at PittsburghHockeyNow.com. You guys got a great team, and hopefully you'll be doing it for a while now. Hopefully the Penguins can keep it up for a couple of months.
6: Yeah, that would be, I think, fun for all of us. Thanks again for having
0: me. There you go, Matt Geica of PittsburghHockeyNow.com. Every freaking time I was resetting him, I had to try really hard not to say DK com. I think it was obvious. Coming up next, Patrick Hornquist is out. Maybe Couturier's out. I'm not going to do the classic thing where I say, which one's going to hurt the
1: team more? But I'll tell you anyway, it's a Crowley show. Americans are always on the move. They're in the car or at the office or working around the house. Americans refuse to sit still. So how do you connect with all those moving targets? Easy, with radio. Radio reaches 93% of Americans every week, more than Google, Facebook, and even television because, hey, it's time to sit around and watch TV. So when you want to connect with all those constantly moving adults, teens, and millennials, get to iHeartMedia.com and put AMFM Radio to work for your company. 53%
0: of the audience is now saying they don't want StatPat back,
1: and I just don't know how I'm going to tell them. I'm torn on the whole thing. Well, it's my job to tell them, so. (laughs) That's true. I don't have to say (laughs) a thing. That's awesome. Now you're all for it, That's great. So now you want them gone?
0: Honestly.